Good morning, Bridge. How we doing, guys? It is so good to be home. I'm going to tell you what, those of you that are regulars know that over the last four weeks or so, all of our location pastors have been circulating among the locations, and it's been just awesome to watch as I've had the chance to be with the Mount Olive group and the Goldsboro group and last week with Smithfield, uh, to just see the Spirit of God moving in each of our locations. The bridge is alive and well across Wayne and Johnston County, and we believe God's going to do amazing things. But I have missed you guys so much. It is so good to be home. You, you did notice that I was... Not here, right? You did notice that I, okay, just wanted to be sure, just kind of checking to see. We're kicking off a little mini-series today that will take us uh, into the early September, three-week series that I'm simply calling Transformed, and we're talking about perhaps one of the most profound subjects uh, in terms of impacting our lives that we can talk about. So don't, don't be mistaken because it's a brief series that it's a less important topic. It may be one of the most important in all of your lives, obviously, uh, transformation is a part of that journey of becoming who God made us to be. And so what we're going to be doing over the next three weeks is we're going to be looking at the story of, of the life of a man in the New Testament who was absolutely transformed by the power of God, actually described as from useless to useful, and this transformation took place in his life. The story is found in a little book kind of in the middle of the New Testament, one chapter kind of book, different from most of the New Testament books because most of them were, were letters written to churches that then got circulated among the churches. And this particular book is one that the Apostle Paul wrote to his good friend Philemon who lived in the city of Colossae. And he was telling his friend Philemon a story about a runaway slave. It's a very personal story where he's, his main purpose is to appeal to Philemon to see this guy, this runaway slave, Onesimus, not as, the, not as the runaway slave who stole from Philemon before he left, but in fact see him as who he is now, not as who he was, but who he is now, a brother in Jesus Christ, and to relate to him in that kind of a way. And so it's this kind of powerful appeal from Paul to Philemon, and yet in the process tells us this transformation story about Onesimus transformed by the power of God. So we're going we're gonna to explore these three weeks, the, the most powerful, perhaps, life change story in all of history. And, and I just need, I need you to understand, um, as I've thought about, prayed about, processed through, got ready to share this with you, um, I just got a feeling that for some of you guys, these next three weeks are going to be a pivot point in your life. And I'm not talking about you haven't come to Christ yet and you're going to give your life to Jesus. There's some people that are going to do that in the next three weeks. I'm talking about some of you but then walking with the Lord for 10 years, 20 years, 30 years. And in these moments, you're going to hear truths that will impact your life in a way that you're going to say, I'll never be the same again. Am I overselling it? I hope not because the Word of God has that kind of power if we will let it speak into our hearts. And I hope you'll open your heart to hear what the Lord has to say to you because God still changes lives. Can I get an amen in the room? God still changes lives. So today all I want to do is kind of set it all up by giving you two profound foundational truths about this idea of transformation, truths that are critical to the transformation journey. And then we're going to come back, we're going to come to the communion table this morning. We're going to share communion together. Let me quickly say you need not be an owner of the bridge to join us in communion. It's not our table, it's the Lord's table. It's the Lord that invites you and we'll give you more instruction when we get to that point. But I want you to prepare your heart as we kind of close today today at the communion table and then the band's going to come back and we're going to end in a powerful time of worship today so I hope you'll lean in 
and let God speak to you today. Two simple foundational truths. Ready to get into it? Let's do it. Lesson number one simply is don't deny your problems. If you want to be transformed, if you want to become everything God has for you, you cannot deny your problems. You've got to face them. That seems so simple, and yet it is so incredibly difficult for so many of us, perhaps all of us. So let's just make sure you were listening at the beginning. Let's see, who wrote the book of Philemon? The Apostle Paul wrote it, and who did he write it to? Philemon. How would you pronounce it? Philemon, Philemon, whatever, how you ever want to say it, don't matter how it is. And why did he write it? Come on. Because this guy named Onesimus was a slave of Philemon's. I know slavery is profoundly wrong, but isn't a day when there were a lot of slaves? And, uh, and he, this slave had run away from his slave owner and stole a bunch of stuff when he left. He winds up in Rome uh, and, uh, and meets Paul in Rome, and in Rome he finds Jesus Christ, and he gives his life to Jesus Christ. Now, we're all glad that Onesimus got saved. Can I get an amen? How many of you agree with me that even though he got a new life, a fresh start in Jesus, he brought all the baggage of his former life with him? Is that what happens? Yeah, the junk comes with us, guys. It's just reality. So Paul who loved Onesimus like a son, writes this letter back to Philemon. Let's get into it. There's only one chapter in the book. So verse 12 uh, simply says, read it with me. Imagine this is Paul writing to Philemon. One, two, three, go. I'm sending Onesimus, who is my very heart, back to you. So just understand the dynamic. Onesimus has run away. He's, he's got a warrant out for his arrest. And, uh, and he winds up in Rome, and he winds up somehow connected to Paul, who's under house arrest at the time, under 24-hour guard. And Paul leads him to Jesus, and apparently they're together long enough that they've developed a spiritual father, spiritual son kind of connection, kind of relationship. Uh, but ultimately... Paul says, you know, son, um, to get where you're going to go, to do what God's called you to do, you know there's some stuff you've got to deal with, right? There's some baggage you're going to have to resolve. There's some things you've got to deal with. And ultimately, it was Onesimus' choice. But together, spiritual father, spiritual son came to the conclusion that Onesimus would never be completely free. He would never be able to get to where God had called him to be unless he was honest with himself and honest with God, and honest with the people that he heard, and face the potential consequences of his actions. He needed to own up and deal with it. That's where transformation gets scary for so many people. Hear me, they understood that denying it, trying to rationalize it away, would only prolong its impact on his life and his present, so that his past would never really become past. It would constantly continue to be his present and ultimately define his future. So Onesimus decided, I don't want to live under the shadow of the past. I want to get free. So he gets loaded up and he goes home to Colossae to face what he's done and plead for mercy from his former slave owner, Philemon. Now let's be clear about this thing. Onesimus knew the risks. Paul knew the risks. In those days, there were 60 million people living in the Roman Empire, and most estimates that I've read say that about 25% of them were slaves. So we're talking about 15 million slaves. So the slave owners understood that if any moment the slaves got organized and rose up, they're done for. 
I mean, that's enough to take them out. And so they tended to take a very hard line with any slaves who got out of line. And so the least punishment that Onesimus was facing going back to Philemon under the law was to be beaten and a brand put on his forehead that he was a fugitive. He'd bear that mark for the rest of his life. That was the least. The likely punishment is that he would be executed on the spot. No trial, no due process, no appeals, no, no, just death by crucifixion in the moment. That's the reality. But Onesimus understood, no matter what the consequences are, I cannot move forward until I deal with my past and make it actually my past. I said this is a powerful series. I didn't say it was an easy one. Verse 8, I could be bold, Paul writes to Philemon, and order you to do what you should do. In other words, I could order you to show him mercy. I could say, dude, you got to do this. But I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. In other words, Paul's saying, I don't want you to show him mercy because I told you to, even though you owe me and, you know, I could leverage that if I wanted to, uh, or, or even because he deserves it. I want you to show him mercy because he's a brother now. He is one of us now. He's a different person. He's got a fresh start in Jesus Christ. Was it risky? Sure it was. They didn't know what Philemon was going to do. Paul and Onesimus both knew that it was risky, but they also knew that the only way he would be free and genuinely free is to face what he did. So Onesimus trusted Paul, and Paul trusted Philemon, and they all trusted the Lord God to bring about what he intended for Onesimus house. You need to know that's as true today as it was 2,000 years ago. Which is why lesson number one is if you want to be free, you cannot deny your past. You've got to face it. You've got to deal with it. Can I, can I get real personal with you for a minute? Is it okay if I do that? I learned this lesson the hard way many years ago. When Kim and I were first married and first in pastoral ministry, I started pastoring six months before we got married, and so we've been in the pastoral ministry all of our 43 years of marriage, and, and, uh, and so we're serving the Lord together. Uh, but every now and then while we were pastoring down in Pender County, North Carolina, uh, this memory would come up in the back of my mind, and it was a memory of my days in high school in small town, Bladenboro, North Carolina. There was a gas station in town, and in those days, gas stations were not just where you bought gas and, you know, something to drink. You, that's where you hung out. That's where you parked your car on Friday night and hung out together, and it was the place that everybody went to. And Buddy was, was generous and gracious to a lot of us young guys, and back in those days, you pull up to the pump and say, give me a dollar's worth. Anybody remember those days? Come on, how old are you? Come on, some old people. Remember, give me a dollar's worth. And if you're really feeling good, give me two dollars worth because I'm going to go on a trip, you know. Gas was a quarter a gallon in those days, and so that was enough gas to get you somewhere. But, uh, but I would pull up sometimes, and I had a little job that paid me once a month, and I would say, buddy, I, I ain't got any money in my pocket, but I'll pay you the end of the month. That's okay. And he let me run a tab. I finished high school, went away to college, and left a tab. Every now and then, it would come to my mind. You know, you owe buddy money. Yeah, I really should do something about that. I really should deal with that, and I'd let it go. And I'd just push it down, and I'd move on. And so Kim and I got married, and we're pastoring, and it would still come up in my mind. 
I'd stop by every time I had an opportunity in those days to visit my grandparents. My grandmother was an amazing woman of God. I don't have time to tell you stories about grandma, but we stick around together long enough. I'll tell you a lot of grandma stories. She was a precious saint of God. My granddad was not. My granddad never served the Lord, never went to church. He was, a, he was about as 180 degrees from grandma as you could get right up until he was 85 years old. And we tried, I tried many times to, to witness to granddad, to share my faith with granddad. He was resistant to it all. Well, one of these days I'm over visiting and uh, granddad sitting in his recliner said, uh, Jim, you got a minute? I said, sure. He said, let's walk out to the pond and feed the fish. He had a little farm pond out there and, and uh, so he gave me a piece of bread and he took a piece of bread and we walked out to the pond and we're standing there pinching off little pieces of bread and perch would come up to the surface and bite the bread, you know, we're just having fun feeding the fish, and I'm wondering, what's this about? You know, something's going on, Granddad took me out to the pond, and, uh, uh, and he said, you know, I was at Buddy's gas station the other day, he said, he's going out of business. Really? Well, that's, that's sad. That's a, that's a staple in our town. He said, yeah. I asked him why he was going out of business, he said, well, you know, so many people owe me money, I just can't stay in business. He brought out his book and ledger, and he laid it up on the counter. He said, you mind if I look at it? Sure, go ahead. And I flipped through the pages, and I saw your name. I wanted the fish to eat me. Here I'm trying to win my granddad to the Lord, and I've skipped out on a debt. I mean, it was $45, but it doesn't matter what the amount was. I owed a debt that I hadn't paid. Granddad just never looked over at me, just kept throwing bread into the pond. He said, you know, Jim, our name's all we really got. Turned around and went back in the house. I went straight to Buddy's gas station, and I went in and apologized. I said, Buddy, I am so desperately sorry. I'm going to find a way to pay you. If you'll let me, I'll, I'll make you payments. All we'll do. He was not particularly gracious about it. I, he was hurting. I understand he was hurting. That may have been a small debt in the big picture of things, but nevertheless, it was a debt. And so we were making $100 a week in those days, and I started sending him $5 a week, a check for $5 a week until that was paid. And as soon as it was, I went back to granddad and said, I just wanted you to know I paid that debt. And as embarrassed and humiliated as I am that you had to tell me about that, thank you, because that's haunted me for five years. You see, sometimes you just got to face it and go back and deal with it in order to be free. That was decades and decades ago, but I still remember those moments as, as poignant moments and life-changing moments. And yes, just before granddad passed away, just a few months before he passed away, he, he told the nurse that was sitting with him, he said, go get your grandma. They were in separate bedrooms at that point. And two o'clock in the morning, he said, go get your grandma. I said, well, Mr. McKeithen, the, uh, Miss, Miss McKeithen's asleep. He said, she's going to want to hear this. And she went and woke her up, brought him to granddad's room and he said I just want you to know I gave my life to Jesus right here laying in this bed and granddad's going to be in heaven <laughs> did my little story have any impact on that I'd like to think so I don't know if it did or not but I know this I would not be free to this day if I had not faced it and dealt with it. And I'm pressing this point. I'm really telling you this story because the, the temptation to rationalize it away is huge. 
But you need to understand that stuff like this is like a firecracker. And once you light the fuse of that firecracker, it's not a question of whether it's going to blow. It's a question of when it's going to blow and how big the blow is. That's the only question. Once the fuse is lit, it's a done deal. It's going to happen. The only question is what are you going to do about it? So i got to ask before we move on, what question are you ignoring? What problem are you hoping will go away that nobody else knows about? What's the issue that you're pretending isn't there but you know it is? That issue could in fact be either the ceiling to your growth or the launching pad. Depending entirely on how you deal with it. Is it your finances? Is that what it is? You say, well, yeah, I got some debt, but it's no big deal. I can manage the payments. But the fuse is lit. And it's going to blow eventually if you don't deal with it. Maybe it's your health. Maybe people close to you have been saying, are you all right? You, you don't seem yourself lately. Have you been seeing the doctor? No, no, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. But in your heart, you know something's going on. You're ignoring it. You're hoping it'll go away. Maybe it's a a seemingly innocent flirtation. But you know you've crossed the emotional line, and if you don't deal with this thing, there's a whole lot of people going to get hurt. The fuse is lit. It's going to blow. Whatever the issue is, guys, you've got to deal with it. And if you say, well, yeah, I just can't think of anything right now, when's the last time you got still in the presence of God? And prayed like David did, Lord, turn your searchlight on me and show me if there's anything that I'm not even seeing right now. Pastor Andrew, when he came a couple of weeks ago, he said, if you'll get still, that's an invitation for God to get busy. And I promise you, if there's anything, if you get still long enough, say, Lord, I just, I'm just listening. He'll show you those things in your life that you need to deal with. Hear me. Facing it is part of your transformation. Facing it is part of your transformation. As much sense as that makes, again, you need to know that when God does reveal something to you, the temptation is profound to say, no, no, no. In fact, here's what we typically do. You tell me there are four options that are available to you, and all of us have taken three of them. Dare I say that, all of us? I think so. I have. You can curse it. You can say, why does this have to be that way? Why do these things always happen to me? Well, I deserve better than this. Or you can nurse it. You can, oh, poor me. It's not fair. I'm the victim here. I, I might have done that, but look what they did to me. Onesimus could have said, whoa, wait a minute. Yeah, I stole from him, but he never paid me a dime for the work I was doing. I deserve that money. Isn't the point. You can rehearse it. You can just play it like a tape, like I did, in the back of my head year after year, saying, I know, I know, I know, I owe that debt, and yeah, I ought to do something about it and push it down until it comes back up again. Carry it around believing there's nothing you can do about it. But it never goes away. Or you can let God reverse it. You can let God take it to a whole new level. You can let God turn it into a life-giving life-changing transformation that takes you to a whole new level in him. That's what he does no matter what the circumstance is or was. 
Romans 8, 28 and 9. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And what's his purpose? Read it with me. To be conformed to the image of his son. So if you're just like Jesus, you probably don't have any issues to deal with. If you haven't arrived, spend some time getting still and ask him to show you. Let him make your past your past. Let him set you free. Second Chronicles 20, 15, this is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army. <coughs> in the Old Testament context of that verse, he was talking about a marauding army. In our context, he's talking about don't be afraid or discouraged because of this thing that you're facing that you think is like an army coming to attack you. For the battle is not yours, it is God's. And God has this amazing way of working everything, the good, the bad, and the ugly, into the pattern for good in our lives to help us become more like Jesus Christ. But in order for that to happen, you have to face it and deal with it. You ready for lesson two? You exhausted with lesson one? <laughs> lesson two is you've got to focus then on the future, not the former. Once you've faced it and dealt with it, you have to, it's, you know, sometimes it's easier to, to forgive others than it is to forgive ourselves. Hello? And so once you do that journey, once you go down that road and you deal with those issues and you resolve those issues and you get whatever help you need to do that, but you resolve those issues, then from that point forward, you say, Satan, that's my past, not my future, and I won't be defined by the past. I'm going to be defined by the future that God has for me. Verse 11 of the book of Philemon. It's one of the most powerful in all of Scripture on this topic at least. Let's read it together. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he's become useful to you and to me. You see the two key phrases in there? Formerly useless, but now Useful. One of the cool things about this book, a little side truth that's really awesome, is that the name Onesimus actually means useful. So you know what the Apostle Paul is actually saying to Philemon? He's saying to Philemon, if, if you'll cooperate with this thing, if you'll help us help him to face what's in the past so that he can move forward, he will actually, are you ready for this? He will actually become who he was born to be. Because every one of you in this room, every one of us in this room, every one of you watching online right now, you were born on purpose with a purpose, no matter the circumstances of your birth. But if you keep holding on to the past, you will never become who you were made to be. you got to let it go. Deal with it. Don't curse it, nurse it, rehearse it. Deal with it. Let God reverse it, and then you got to look forward, and the result will be formerly you might have been useless but then you become useful in the kingdom of God. Formerly, he was a useless, runaway, thieving slave, but now he's a brother in Christ and part of the family of God. What changed? Onesimus changed at the core of his being. How did he change? He gave his life to Jesus, and he agreed to face the consequences of the choices and face up to the baggage of his Past. Now, just be honest, guys. I can only imagine the tension that Philemon probably felt when the 
messenger, the runner, came to his house. Didn't have email back in those days. The runner came to his house with the letter and handed it to him. And he opened it up. I said, all right, great. I got a letter from my friend Paul. It's so good to hear from him. I hadn't heard from him in a long time. And he opens it up. And he starts reading this little one-chapter letter. And all of the emotions that are associated with it. He was, he was my slave. He stole money from me. He ran. He's useless to me. I don't trust him. He's dead to me. But understand Philemon was a fully devoted follower of Christ too. Paul had led him to the Lord and he'd grown up and he knew the power of God, uh, God's changing, transforming power in his own life. And so he knew if it was possible for him, it was possible for Onesimus as well. He was formerly useless, but now he was useful to the kingdom of God. And one of his usefulness issues was to forgive Onesimus. I need you to understand that truth is not just a 2,000-year-old story. It's a 21st century reality. Jerry was a slave to his own vices. Grew up in a little Pentecostal church in the northeast corner of North Carolina. He knew God, but in his young adult life, he got linked into a group of bikers and joined the lifestyle. Over time became a national officer, officer in the Renegades, which is one of the baddest one-percenter biker clubs in the country. And Jerry was among the baddest. He was an enforcer for the Renegades. He knew the truth. Um, it, was, it was struck deep in his identity. He understood and every now and then, Jerry and his wife would show up at our church in Chesapeake. Every now and then, they would pop in. Janet was diagnosed with breast cancer, and she asked us to lay hands on her and pray. She called for the elders of the church, and we anointed her with oil and prayed, and she was healed of cancer. And Jerry said, I know God is real. I know God is real. But he didn't change. Eventually, his ways caught up with him, and he landed in jail. One of our pastors started visiting him in jail. Within a few weeks of Pastor Steve Hassel visiting him, Jerry gave his heart to Jesus. And you talk about life change. He started reading the Bible. He joined a Bible study. Our church bought him a Bible that he began to read and a study Bible he began to study into. God showed up again and showed him favor with the courts. And what could have been a 50-year sentence for everything from robbery to attempted murder uh, became time served plus five years probation. As soon as Jerry got out, he and Janet made a beeline to our church and became a part of it. He gave public testimony of his faith in Jesus Christ, but he put legs on it. He actually drove to Ohio. And if you know the biker community, especially the one percenter community, this doesn't happen. He drove to Ohio and turned his colors in. You don't do that because you know too much. They have to kill you now. But they were so scared of Jerry, they let him go. Jerry's one of those guys, he wasn't a really big stature guy, but he was just one of those guys that had that look that you, if he looked at you, you, you think what's going on in his mind is something like, I could snap you like a twig. <laughs> you know, just kind of this, this jittery thing starts to happen until you find out this is a guy who's desperately in love with Jesus. And Jerry began to grow in his faith. And then one day out of the blue, he gets a call. Sheriff's deputies came and arrested him because the U.S. attorney's got a hold of his file and a new law had come into force called the repeat offender 
clause, and he was arrested, not because of any new thing he'd done, but just because of the preponderance of the crimes of his life, and he got 57 months in jail without committing another crime. But that's the part of the story I love the most because Jerry's last Sunday with us before going in for his 57-month incarceration. He said, if I weren't a Christian, I'd run. But I'm facing my problems, and I'm looking past them. I'm going to be the man God made me to be. They can put me in prison. They can't put me in chains anymore because I'm free. During those months, Jerry got his associate degree in Bible. He wound up only serving 30 months, and now he leads a ministry to bikers, southeast United States. You see, Jerry understood something. Formerly, I made some bad decisions, but now I'm helping others to avoid those same mistakes. Formerly, the enemy tricked me and lured me into hurting people, but now the enemy has no power over me, so I'm helping people. Formerly, I was lost in my own sinfulness, but now I'm found. Formerly, I was blind, but now I see. Formerly, but now, formerly, but now I was useless, but now I'm useful to the kingdom of God. Anybody here ever had a formerly, but now moment with God? Anybody here ever had one of those moments with God? You know, as a pastor, I've heard hundreds of these stories over the year. Maybe not as all as dramatic as Jerry's, Gergena's story, but, but all just as profound. Whether we're talking about the nine people in our Celebrate Recovery ministry that meets on Tuesday nights that that got their one-year chip recently, or the nine more who are celebrating six months and three months, or the nine who are celebrating 30 days, they just got their 30-day chip formerly, but now I was useless to the kingdom of God. the The only thing I was useful for was the drug world and to get another drink, and now I'm useful and I'm getting healthy and I'm helping others to get healthy. Or the guy that told me after hearing a message on forgiveness, he said, you know, I've carried bitterness toward my ex-wife for 15 years, but today I decided, you know what, I'm going to forgive her and let her go. And it felt like Clorox got poured over my head, and I am feeling tingly and clean all over after all these years. Or the couple who after church one Sunday morning were out in the lobby, and, and the wife looked across the lobby and saw a guy, and and when they're on their way home, she said to her husband, she said, have, have you heard from your dad since he got out of prison? Is he out? And he said, well, yeah, I heard through the grapevine that he's out, but I haven't heard from him since I was a kid. She said, well, I, I saw somebody in the lobby today across the crowd that I, it looks like the pictures that you have of your dad. And so the next Sunday they went and started looking around, and sure enough, they found him. And sure enough, it was Chris's dad, and they reunited in both Chris and Don, his dad, gave their lives to Jesus Christ and began a hard-fought, hard-worked-out reconciliation. He met his grandchildren for the first time. Or the guy that Pastor Andy met with on a Saturday morning out here 22 years ago, far from God, no involvement in church, but he knew he needed Jesus, and Andy led him to the Lord. And just a few months ago this year, his daughter and her husband come to the bridge and went to the ownership class and she met Andy afterwards. She said, I just want you to know you led my dad to the Lord 22 years ago and the reason I'm saved today is because he led me to the Lord and now they're becoming bridge group owners or leaders this fall. Formerly, 
Yeah, that's, that's worth celebrating. Formerly useless, but now useful to the kingdom of God. No doubt some of you can feel the joy of your own formerly, but now experience welling up inside of you now. I can I could just stop and think about some of mine because there have been many over the years. For others of you, perhaps today's your day. This, this is the day when it's going to happen. It's time for you to have yours now. Formerly you were stuck in past mistakes and regrets and hurts and habits and hang-ups, but now you're not going to focus on what was. You're going to focus on what's coming Formerly, you denied your problems and avoided them until they controlled you and defined you and kept you stuck in the past. But now, you're going to be defined to who Jesus is and who Jesus says you are. Formerly, my marriage was barely hanging on, but now we're going to work through these problems and we're going to get better on the other side. We're trusting that God's going to help us to rebuild in our marriage. The enemy of your soul would have you believe that that only happens to other people, but he's a liar. Transformation is still available to you. And today, I believe with everything in me, some of you came here today, some of you are watching online today, and God has called you to a divine appointment with Him for a formerly but now experience with Him. A transformation that will begin today simply because you make the commitment, I'm not going to ignore the past stuff, I'm not going to deny it. I'm not going to rehearse it. I'm not going to curse it. I'm going to address it and let God reverse it. And then you're going to start looking forward, not backward, to what God has for you. This is is not just one story from the Scriptures. The New Testament's filled with this formerly but now stuff. Ephesians 5.18, for you were once in darkness, but now you are Light in the Lord. Colossians 1, 21 and 2. At the time you were separated from God. You were God's enemies in your minds because of the evil deeds you did were against God. But now Christ has made you God's friends again. Ephesians 2, 12 and 13. In the past you were without Christ. You had no hope. You did not know God. But now in Christ Jesus you're brought near to God through the blood of Christ's death. Formerly useless Lost in your own sinfulness, your own selfishness, your own junk. But now transformed by the power of the resurrected Lord, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if who? Anyone is in Christ, he becomes a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. You ready for a formerly but now moment? Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, for loving us. No matter who we are, no matter where we've gone, no matter what we've done, loving us unconditionally, loving us so much that you died for our sins even while we were still ignoring you, thumbing our noses at you. Thank you. Thank you, Lord, for the reminder or maybe the new information that because of who you are and because of what you did at Calvary, because death couldn't hold you, because you conquered 
death and the grave. And because you're alive, the power of the Holy Spirit is moving through this place right now. Because of all those things, I can break free from my past. I can become everything you made me to be, no matter what was in my past. So I pray simply in the quietness of this moment, Lord, that you'd speak to each one of us and help us to understand if there's anything we need to resolve, now's the day to say, Lord, I'm moving forward. I'm going to deal with it. I'm going to face it. I'm trusting you. I'm going to handle it appropriately. I'm going to get advice where I need advice. I'm going to get help where I need help, but I'm not going to hide from this thing anymore. I'm ready for a new life in Jesus Christ. Keep your heads bowed for just a moment, would you? I'm not going to keep you much longer, but I want to. Can I have some house lights, please? I want to. I want to take a minute. Don't do this very often, but just feel compelled to do it this morning. Nobody's looking. I want everybody to keep your eyes closed. I want this to be a private moment. If you're sitting here right now saying, you know what, I need a formerly but now moment with God, would you do me the honor of raising your hand? I see one. God bless that one. I see that one. Come on. I need a formally but now moment with God. It's time. I see those hands. God bless you. I see you. I'm praying for you. Come on. Don't be shy. Don't be afraid. You can put them down. Thank you so much. Here now in the quietness of this moment. You ready to pray? Pray out loud, pray silently, I don't care, but pray. Jesus, I believe this is possible. I believe that you brought me here in this moment to have a formerly but now useless to useful moment. And I'm asking it. I'm asking you for it right now. So just, again, silently or aloud, name your problem. Here's the deal. Here's what I did or didn't do. Here's what's hanging on that I haven't let go of. Whatever it is, name it. Say, Jesus, I will not carry this around any longer. Help me to face it, resolve it, and look to the future instead of the past. Father, you know who's praying. You know exactly what's going on in their hearts right now. And I pray that each one of us would not only have a little spiritual exercise at the end of a Sunday morning service, but in fact transformation just began in our lives in a powerful kind of way as you give us all formerly but now experiences with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now I want us to seal what we've just done the Lord's table would you get one of those communion packets in your hand if you didn't get served by some reason you'd like to join us in communion would you raise your hand now the ushers are there to be glad to serve you need some folks over here some there just raise your hand we got one down here in the front about four rows back over there several back here in this corner we'll take just a moment don't want anybody left out let me remind you you need not be an owner at the bridge to join us because it's not our table it's the Lord's table but it is important that you understand what we're about to do. We're not just going to 
eat a wafer and drink some juice, we're going to say, my formerly but now moments are available because you paid the price for them. I can be free from my past. I can be a new creation in Christ Jesus because you died. The wages of sin is death. The gift of God is eternal life, and I accept what you did for me. Maybe you've never prayed a prayer like that in your life. Maybe you've never taken communion before. But in this moment, that's what you're saying. I need Jesus. I need what he did for me on Calvary. So take those elements in your hand. Anybody else want to overlook anybody? Peel that top layer off, if you will, and get that wafer in your hand. The Bible says when Jesus gathered with his disciples, he took bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body which is broken for you and every time you eat of it, you do so in remembrance of me. In other words, don't just eat it because you're hungry. Eat it to remind yourself of the body of Jesus Christ that was broken for you. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for loving us so much that you sent your son, Jesus Christ. Jesus, thank you for paying the price for my sin. It was my sin that nailed you to that cross. Thank you for willing to go there for me. In your name I pray. Amen. Can we eat the bread together? Then the Bible says Jesus told his disciples, he raised the cup and he said, this is the New Testament in my blood. Every time you drink this cup, let it be a reminder that you're not living under the law now, you're living under grace. And that grace is available to you. Wasn't easy, wasn't cheap, but it's free to you. Cost the very life of Jesus Christ. It cost the shed blood of Jesus Christ on the cross so long ago. But the same power that God used to raise Jesus Christ from the dead is available to you. And so as you drink this, as you smell the aromas of this juice, let it be a reminder that not only was his body broken for you, but because of his stripes, you're healed. You're forgiven. You get a fresh start. So let's pray that prayer. Father, thank you for fresh starts, new beginnings. Physically, spiritually, emotionally, relationally. We accept that when we get a fresh start with you, there may still be some baggage that we have to deal with from our past. But we're praying for that new beginning today. And the courage to face those issues. Look forward, not backward. Because of the power of your blood. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's drink together. Father, you know what you're, what's going on in the hearts and lives of the people that are here, the people that are watching online, and I pray simply that you'd speak to each one of us with a confidence that as we go from this place, transformation has just begun, and it will unfold in the days ahead in a way that we move from useless to useful, formerly but now, in Jesus' name.